everyone. I am Mitzi Rothside. I'm the Executive Director of the Post New York Alliance, and I welcome you to Post Break, a Post New York Alliance weekly series exploring post-production New York State. Today we have a conversation with New York editors Louise Ford, Andy Weisblum, and Kate Sanford. During this panel, please add your questions and comments to the chat function, and Chris Peterson will field them after the discussion. If you want your question answered by a Pacific panelist, please note that. And um, I would just like to introduce this week's programmer and moderator, Yana Lehman. Uh, she is the chairman of the Post New York Board and the president and the COO of Travana Post. Yana. Thank you, Mitzi. Um, thanks everyone for being here. Welcome everyone. Um, I'm thrilled to have this conversation with Kate, Louise, and Andy. And so I'm just gonna start with a question I think everyone would like to hear to help us get to know them a little better, which is um, as editors, mentorship I know is really important um, in the post industry in general, it's still an apprenticeship industry, one of the last remaining. And so I'm very interested to hear from all of you about who your early mentors were and what influence they had on your career choices and also on how you mentor. I know each of you does some of that and um, how you choose your AEs. So big question. I'm going to start with Kate and then we'll go to Louise and then we'll hear from Andy last but not least. Okay. Hi. Um, this is wild. There are four screens of people, and uh, uh, I think I might know some of them. Um, so thanks for having me. This is fun. Um, uh, I'll try to answer this long, complicated question, um, but I'll start with saying I, I started uh, – oh, wait, I don't want to see a speaker view because then I've got to look at my face big. Hold on. Um, uh, I started back in the late 80s when uh, – I think most content was shot most post-production rooms were cutting on film and that's you know part of what attracted me to the business is that it was tactile and um, it was a real apprenticeship and there was film hanging all over the place film in bins film streaming off of the steambacks and the movieolas and everything and um, you know, uh, later I think we'll talk about that difficult transition from analog to digital, but I feel really fortunate that I got in when I did because that was a really great kind of workshop environment, um, a workshop and an apprenticeship where I could stand behind an editor and watch him put together the movie. And you needed a lot of support when you were doing that. I say him because my mentor was John Tintori, who now uh, runs uh, I think the grad program at NYU. So he actually transitioned out of editing and into academia, but he was a wonderful mentor. And I was lucky enough to literally stand behind him while he put together a movie, several movies. Um, and our first movie uh, was eight men out um, that I, uh, with John sales movie I worked on. And, you know, when you did that, you needed somebody to actually hand you a piece of film and then the next piece and put away this piece and keep track of all the pieces. And so it was just happening live right in front of you. Um, and not only was it coming together in front of you, but you saw the changes happening 
Um, you saw the, you know, each scene being built one after another. You saw sequences come together. We screened things together and, you know, as a department and we discussed them. So it was very collaborative and he was very open to allowing me to um, give my opinion when, when asked, you know, finally. Um, and then, and the director was enough to access to. So, um, even though we're we're now in a, an editing room with, with a bunch of computers, um, and we're usually isolated, we try the best that we can to bring our assistants into the process. And um, I say we, Tim Strito and I, have been working together for almost ten years on three or no four TV series in a row, uh, from Boardwalk Empire to Vinyl to Fosse to Maisel. And we've had a lot of the same assistants and we try to bring them into the process by giving them scenes to cut um, and then giving them actually giving them notes so that they go back and take their scenes back to their avids and make the changes. And we discuss it with them as if we were still all together, um, you know, in that in that original analog room. So it's really, really special. Um, but it's it's definitely harder now. And I think the hardest thing is to get the opportunity to be in that, like in that hot seat, the director. So um, the last piece of the mentoring is for us to have our assistants actually sit with directors, get the directors to agree that they're going to be that collaborative and get them to sit actually in the chair. Sometimes we're in the room too, and we, we try to foster their careers that way by getting them to have that actual like one-on-one -on -one experience. So we shared credit with our assistants on several uh, episodes of TV. And then hopefully, and we've gotten a few of them out of our rooms and into their own cutting rooms and kind of helped to recommend them to, 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 like, to launch their own editing careers and say, stop being assistants. We're not gonna hire you as assistants. You're, go out now into the world. Um, yeah, so I, uh, so I mean, what I look for in an AE, of course, is someone who's really ambitious um, and who wants to cut. You know, that's, that's the most fun. Somebody who really is concerned with story and, um, and that, yeah, and that wants that opportunity and is a self-starter. And I'm sure those are, like, you guys talk about all those things. Um, yeah. Thank you. Great answer. Uh, Louise, how about you? Hey, well, um, I guess I came to editing very late. I was a journalist for about uh, 10 years in, in London. And my husband was a TV editor uh, while I was doing that. And basically, I was unhappy with my career. And he kept nagging me to say that I would be really good at editing <laughs> and I resisted it for years because I just thought I'm just not it's lame to do the same job as your husband but then eventually uh we moved, we came to America he got a job cutting a tv show for PBS um and we uh we were supposed to be here for six months that was um 18 19 years ago Honestly, in England, I just never thought about being an editor. It never occurred to me uh, that it was a job that I could do working in the film industry because, the, you know, there's so few films made in England. But once I got to New York, I was like, oh, maybe I could do this. So I did a class at the Edit Center. And from that class, I met my second mentor. I think Andy was my first mentor and my husband. 
And then uh, Michael Taylor, who was a very prolific um, editor in independent film, he, he had been a script supervisor for quite a few years. And uh, um, anyway, he took me on as a, I met him on that editing course. He was one of the editors that came to talk to the class. And I took his info and, you know, I was very sort of uh, aggressive about getting uh, an, uh, some kind of internship after that class because obviously I was a lot older and I didn't have whatever. Anyway, Michael Taylor ended up being the, the editor that took me on as a, gave me my first sort of foot in the door as a post-production intern. And he was the, I mean, I'm sure many of you know him because he knows everybody. <laughs> and he's the kindest, most generous sort of, uh, uh, person and right from the beginning he, he was amazing because as an intern you're, you're you know you're just getting the coffee doing the paperwork learning really how an edit room works you're not even an assistant editor you're not even on the machine but you know the, the lowest of the low but right from the beginning he was like hey if you want to stay into the I'll be working till like eight or nine o'clock you don't have to go home at, at six you can sit in the room behind me and watch me edit you know, which was an incredible uh, gift. And he loved, you know, passing his thought processes on. So he would be editing a scene and talking through it as he was editing. Why am I doing it this way? Why am I looking at this performance? What, you know, this is how I like to. So I kind of, and we got on instantly. We sort of had a creative rapport and uh, he then took me on as his assistant editor. So I, I was his assistant for a few films. Um, this was like, I don't know, the, I think I did the edit class in 2006. So this was like 2007, 2008. And while I was, uh, you know, assisting him on these uh, independent feature films, I was cutting shorts for myself because I just wanted to cut from the beginning. Um, I mean, he, he, he sort of took me, you know, I remember when one, I mean, he usually has like two or three films in Sundance like every year, he's so prolific. He doesn't make so many of these brilliant indie movies. And right from the beginning when I was, you know, just his assistant on something, he insisted that I come to Sundance with him for when the film that he cut was playing there. And he took me around to loads of parties and he introduced me to everybody, you know. I mean, he was uh, absolutely instrumental in uh, my career, no question. Um, and also it was great to, have that as a sort of a model for me so when I sort of stepped up into the editing chair then I re I knew immediately that part of the fun of the job and actually part that I actually enjoy is mentoring you know my assistants and it, so every assistant I have I always want them you know I'll usually give them a scene to cut you know I mean you know from the beginning you know depending on the first job I might give them one scene the next job I might give them two or three four scenes and you know, to the point where my last assistant, Katrina, um, you know, she, I, she was sort of cutting the assembly with me of the last thing we worked on. And she'll be going off to do her first feature film later on this year as an editor. Um, and I think it's really important. Uh, and I just always really love that about the editing community, that it's very, uh, you know, friendly and welcoming. Um, it, it's we're all in there's a feeling of sort of family we're all helping each other you know and uh, I love that um and then latterly you know I was very lucky uh, that, that um, when I cut the witch obviously that was very successful and sort of my 
career and it sort of went into this other sort of kicked into another level or whatever and um that sort of you know I was very lucky to work with a couple of directors who did you know who were who were successful and carried on and as I've become you know we'll get working into like bigger arenas like bigger budgets and stuff like that and actually Andy Weisblum has been my mentor for the last couple of years he probably doesn't even know it but or maybe he does he can speak to that but I've called on him for advice uh, many times about how to sort of navigate the as the the projects get bigger and um, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, what do I look for in an assistant? Exactly like Kate said, I want somebody who understands story and uh, whose opinion I can trust when I show them. A, you know, maybe I want to show them a few scenes and say, "What do you think of you know?" What do you think of this? And and get a good, they have good taste. They have uh, uh, they'll give me good notes. But more than that, actually, <laughs> I need somebody who is good at all the stuff that I'm not good at. Which for me is the technical stuff because um, you know I'm learning more as I go along, like visual effects, basics, and stuff like that. But if if it's like a more complicated comp uh, than just a regular like split screen or something like that, I need somebody that can do all that stuff because I, I don't know how to do that stuff. I'm sort of primarily focused on story. Um, and, you know, um, I'm, not, I'm not like an avid uh, guru. I, I started off cutting on Final Cut 7 and I switched to avid uh, on Don't Breathe, which is probably about four four or five years ago, I think, four years ago. And so, you know, I've not been working on Avid for 15 years, like a lot of uh, directors, and I don't know it inside out. So I need somebody that can do that stuff. I'm very quick uh, actually editing, but as for the the technical nitty gritty, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not that interested in it either, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. Okay, Andy, how about you? Are you the most seasoned of all? I know you. Well, that's a nice way to sound like old dude, is how you just said. Um, uh, you know, I think I, my, my career path and my history with this has a lot of overlap with, with Kate. I started a little bit later, like in the early uh, 90s as an apprentice when uh, the Brill Building and Sound One was all still humming in the New York scene. And the, you know, the thing that was <clears throat> immediately evident there was, and, and in some ways made it simpler to progress, is that everything was really centralized because things were built around labs and location. Um, and you had to work in a facility that had the equipment you needed for film, you know, uh, benches and chems and steam back and all that stuff so that you could keep operating. And the crews were also bigger um, because it was more labor intensive. So you'd have buildings full of people that you got to know pretty well and could kibitz with and talk about uh, what was going on in different projects um, and get easily hired on other jobs once you were in that circle and had a good reputation as an assistant. And I think, um, uh, obviously that doesn't exist now when nothing's centralized anymore. Uh, look at us. <laughs> you could be anywhere. Um, 
but that's been true for a while. That was a big part of how things transitioned digitally. But stepping back to when I was working on films as an assistant originally, um, I was mentored by different, uh, I don't know, different, a few different editors who came out of the 70s and 80s in New York, which was kind of a heyday. Um, and so it was Bill Pankow I worked with primarily, Barry Malkin, uh, Jeff Wolf, a few other editors who were part of this regular circulation and everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, but at the time, was, this is something Kate was talking about, when, when you were an assistant in a film cutting room, the editors were more dependent on you in terms of their moment by moment function. If they needed a camera to pull a shot or if they were cutting on a moviola, they needed a, a trim pulled or whatever it was, a big part of the assistant job was a dialogue with the editor the whole time while they were working, where they're talking through what they're doing and being able to anticipate what they were going to need um, as part of that process. So there was a, there was an ongoing conversation. It was a few years after that um, when things turned digital. And when I hit that point, I was, I kind of dovetailed into being a Lightworks assistant, which was the main competitor to Avid at the time. So it was kind of the main source of my employment was, doing uh, those jobs when I wasn't doing film conforms. Um, film conforms meant whenever there was a screening, um, the resolution that we were cutting with wasn't good enough. So they would hire assistants to come in and um, match back all the film prints to, to uh, replicate what was done in Lightworks just to have a screening. Um, so that was kind of the main employment. But then that all kind of narrowed. Oh, somebody needs to mute themselves, I think. Anyway, um, the, the other thing that would happen was I would, I would work with um, editors who would still have you in the room because they were used to it. Um, they were used to it from the film process and the conversation that they would have with their assistants and just kind of talk through what they were doing, Bill Penko in particular. When we were done with whatever we would need to deal with in the morning, I would spend every afternoon sitting in there looking at what was going on and watching the, the creative process uh, whenever it was appropriate to do so. Um, but you would develop instincts about that. And, uh, you know, when, when it was the right time to be in the room and the wrong time to be in the room, depending on who was there and whether it was helpful. Um, but then after that, um, once I segued into being an editor myself, and I had to kind of carry on some of those traditions in a way that, um, uh, is not necessarily organic because we're all in separate rooms now and um, it's almost like different forms of data processing happening. But you have to kind of make sure you're having conversations with your assistants and including them in the process because the project suffers if you don't. If, you, if They're kind of the first line of uh, objectivity. If I cut something together and I think it's working and I show it to an assistant, I can tell right away just from the vibe in the room, whether it's working or not, um, and whether I'm just, you know, tricking myself. So that's, that's always an important part of the process. It's also an important part of the process with the assistant to always, I always have them cutting if they want to, and I hope they want to, um, uh, because then they get engaged in the process and they do what I always thought was important as an assistant. 
which is anticipating. You can't do that if you under, don't understand what's going on. You don't understand the threat of, of what the process is, what the obstacles are making the movie and what trouble you're running into and so forth. Um, so if I were to segue into what the, what I look for in an assistant, in an assistant editor, again, it's anticipation, knowing what is needed and when, and understanding the, the dynamics and sensitivities of uh, the room when you're dealing with the director and, and in the hot seat, as you say, and, and knowing uh, how to uh, facilitate that process. Um, you have to make sure that an assistant has those instincts because the environment can be sensitive. Um, but it also changes in terms of the scale of the project, how much technical proficiency or whatever you need from an assistant. And the bigger jobs where I've had, you know, more than a dozen people, then I really, I really need people who know their departments and know their chops and there's less uh, um, room for education. Um, but then on smaller jobs, then you can, you know, take a chance and, uh, figure it out from there. Can I ask each of you, um, if you feel like you've had, a, has it been harder to find assistant editors given just the massive amount of content that has, is being created now, given that you guys have mentored assistant editors to becoming editors. So it's not like you're with your crew for a decade. Um, is that something that you feel like has gotten more difficult in the last 10 years, just finding Ooh. someone to crew always up with. Difficult. <laughs> it's always yeah. difficult to find a good assistant. I yeah. haven't much changed myself. Mm. I don't know about you guys. I, I, I mean, I think, um, yes, it's difficult because in the past, and this is not a negative, in the past few years, it's been particularly busy here with all the different kinds of contents that we have. So, uh, of streaming and other kinds. So there's m much earlier opportunities, I think, for people to cut. Um, so they, they can segue pretty quickly. The, the flip side of that is um, not necessarily that they're not certain people who, who kind of skip the apprenticeship edit assistant editor path or, or, uh, marination <laughs> is that is is that uh um you know maybe they're not whether they're ready for it or not it's not really the point the issue i think is i don't know how you really develop a career that way because just because there's content to cut it's not always it's not always something that's going to make an impression i guess is the right way to put it and and sometimes you're maybe better off sitting back and learning a little be, and, and striking when it's hot. You know, when I was, um, when I was trying to transition from assisting to editing, the, the scene was not all the streaming stuff and all this explosion of content. The real, the real uh, opportunities for assistance were the smaller independent films that were, you know, gunning to go to Sundance, get picked by, picked up by Miramax or whatever. Those were like, the, that was the Holy Grail. That was what an assistant wanted because then a, a career could start from that. Um, but, uh, I don't, I, I, I was doing that for a while and I was cutting movies that while in between bigger assistant jobs that really had no, they would come and go 
because they wouldn't get distribution. They didn't have an actor big enough in it. If they had an actor big enough in it for distribution, I wasn't going to get the gig. So then you're kind of caught in this vacuum and it became more of a strategic process to try and find a movie that I thought was more likely to get distribution and really focus all my energy on that instead of um, whatever cutting job floated my way. Cause there were plenty and there are now it's just, you know, sometimes they're not so great. So this leads me to another question I wanted to ask all of you. We've talked about, you know, you going from an AE to an editor and, um, and your careers. And I, I just wonder how much, if you can tell a story about, or if there's a specific director who you feel like is not necessarily responsible for your career, but if finding the right director to work with or the right director found you to work with and um, how that's shaped your careers. Louise, do you want to go? Yeah, I can take that. I mean, here's the thing. Um, I think I was listening to what Andy was just saying and it's, and it's, if I could pass one piece of advice on to anybody that wants to be an editor, it is choose your projects carefully because this job requires, takes so much out of you, sort of emotionally, creatively, physically, you know, energy required. Maybe I'm more aware of this because I, I was in my late 30s before I even started. So, you know, I'm very sort of conscious of how much time I've got left. So I've always been very kind of uh, choosy about what I want to do. What do I want to throw my, you know, use some of my life up actually working on? And... Uh, when I was assisting Michael Taylor, you know, everybody, you know, not every, I mean, there was a lot of opportunities for me to cut short films and I cut some that were like, the first thing I cut was, you know, I, but I, I've never actually cut anything that I didn't care about or like is what I'm saying is what I'm trying to get to. And, um, obviously the film that started everything that started really kickstarted my career was The Witch with Robert Eggers. But, um, it's worth noting that. I chose to do his uh, his short a short. I mean, I I'd known him for years before the witch because I'd cut a short film for free, you know for sort of no money, uh, but on the basis of me reading his script and uh, I knew in my heart when I was reading it that this guy was sort of off the charts talented and and that uh, uh, that I instantly connected with his method of storytelling. And that's the thing, you know, um, you know, I, I find it, I mean, it's about knowing what you're into and just doing that. You've got to find out what you personally, what's the thing that really makes you tick. And I think if you find good material that does that for you, you you're going to be good at it and you're going to, it will be successful. You know, I'm not talking about financially successful. I'm talking about a successful project. I've never been driven by wanting to uh, work on massive films with big budgets or anything like that. That's not what I'm in this for. I'm sort of just, I want to do stuff that I enjoy doing. That's it. And that's the best guide, I think. Uh, as for, you know, the director, sorry, I sort of went off the rails a bit there with the answer, but, you know, and so, you know, although The Witch, uh, helped my career and you know then the lighthouse which we did and um 
you know, the other director that I work a lot with, Corey Finley, but who's Bad Education, just premiered on HBO. And before that, Thoroughbreds. I got the Thoroughbreds gig because he had seen The Witch and he liked the editing. And, but with both those directors, it's, yeah, they've, re, uh, you know, it, teaming up with a good director is obviously always going to help your career. But what I'm trying to get at is that the, the, the reason the reason that these things work is because you're all on, because it's a, it's a, it's a creative uh, meeting of minds before anything else. So I've been very lucky that the things that I like other people seem to like too. So and also very lucky that those two directors have, um, you know, are good at their jobs. <laughs> yeah. There've been a couple of people. I mean, First of all, I got incredibly lucky meeting a guy named Michael Corrente when I happened to be living in Providence, Rhode Island. And my husband at the time was a professor and we moved there for a couple of years. And I just contacted the film commission and I had already been an assistant for, for a few years in New York. And then we moved around and started, you know, kind of on that journey and uh, had a kid. And then I wanted to start getting back into it. And I contacted the Rhode Island Film Commission and I said, anything that comes through here, just let me know because I'm getting a little stir crazy at home. And I was just lucky that this guy was making his first indie feature in Providence, Rhode Island. And I talked him into letting me cut the movie. And it was a very small indie project called Federal Hill. Uh, but I really liked him and he had a great amount of energy and he had studied theater at Trinity there in Rhode Island. And I don't know, it was just, it was really cool. And it was just really fortunate that I, that we met and I happened to be in kind of, kind of nowhere for filmmaking. Um, and then he continued making movies and took me w with him on a bigger movie. And so mid nineties, American Buffalo was a really great opportunity for me to get like my first big credit. And I think like all of us working back then, if you were on a feature path, that was one way to do it, was you partnered with a filmmaker who was going someplace and they took you with them. And so I was really lucky. Um, I, got, I got a great credit on a, on a movie with a star. It wasn't a big successful movie, but it was like, okay, I got in that category. Um, and then my, you know, but that wasn't the end of it. I still had to hustle a lot. And um, then a few years later, I found, I got a call about working on a TV show in New York called Sex in the City that was just starting up. And that was just the luckiest break. And I hadn't really thought about television because there really wasn't much television going on in New York. Um, so it was even more fortunate because I wasn't really competing against TV people. It was just the pool of kind of long form narrative scripted people in New York. So not, you know, like not documentary editors, not commercial people. So um, my friend, Michael Berenbaum said, uh, they're looking for somebody to like, they need someone to fill in tomorrow. Are you around? So I said, yes. And, um, and so I landed there and I discovered that I really like the television environment. I, I hadn't really thought about it before, but um, like even before Sex in the City came out, there was some buzz about it. Like I, I kind of heard about it. Um, so when I went in for the interview, I knew like I should, I should nab this if I can do it. And I just like this collaborative way of working where I'm in one room with my show and another editor's in their room with their show and we're all on a team. And rather than it feeling corporate or like a factory, it feels like, again, it feels like a bunch of people working together in a workshop. 
And um, I also, I want to mention this, this is my personal experience too, that after working with um, several indie, great indie filmmakers on their passion projects, including American Buffalo, there's something very emotionally demanding about those kinds of experiences where you're in an editing room with somebody for six months and it's wonderful and you're a part of the filmmaking, but you are also listening to their problems and supporting them creatively and emotionally. And I found that sometimes when I go back to television, there's a division of emotional labor that I really appreciate. And I can kind of separate my private life from my work life a little bit better. So, so that I found like instantly that worked for me. And so other TV opportunities came out of that. And then I met David Simon, who was starting up The Wire. Um, I went for the pilot interview. I didn't get it because uh, Jerry Peroni is a great editor, got it. So that was fine. Uh, but then they went to do the series and they called me and I found like, I, I didn't, I, I will confess, I, I don't think I understood the full uh, extent of how interesting The Wire was going to be when I interviewed and read it. But I knew it was something and I really liked these people. It was David and Bob Colesbury, his producer, and I really liked them. And they were really smart and, um, and they were passionate, but they were passionate about the material and it was all about the material and it wasn't about themselves. And I also really appreciated that. And again, it was team. And then we started on the wire and it was just, it, it, it surprised me how, um, how deep and confrontational it was because it, it, was, it was a little bit hard to see what it was going to be about from the very beginning. And it was complicated to keep track of the characters, etc. But anyway, I fell in love with it. I stayed for five years. Um, and then I had a chance to work with David on several other projects. Um, so I think that helped shape my approach to editing and to the craft and to commitment to drama. Um, but again, David's world is a little bit limited cinematically. Um, there are some, some things that we don't do. You know, we don't use score. We don't use dissolves. We don't, you know, we don't work with the full palette of tools. Um, and that's by design. So sometimes it's nice to go to another uh, type of project um, where you can use music creatively in, in different ways. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so I, I was, but I was able to dip back into the David world for Treme, for Show Me a Hero, for The Deuce. So that's somebody I, I continue to come back and, uh, and work with. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Hey, Andy, I'm curious to um, hear about the directors who've shaped your careers and also if you um, emotionally supported them a lot in the cutting room. <laughs> and if that was exhausting for you if, if I, in your if journey. I, if, if I did, I'm not going to fess up here. But I, I'll say that, um, um, I, you know, uh, what I was talking about before when I was trying to figure out um, the right movies to try and cut and skip out on assistant gigs to make an impression, I kind of zeroed in on a movie um, for what was HDNet at the time that, Zoe Cassavetes was going to direct and um, I knew it had, it was going to have distribution, which was like important. So I, I, um, I worked some 
whatever connections I could find and got a meeting with her and she wanted to hire me uh, to cut the movie, which was great. But HDNet had no interest in me. They were never going to hire me. I didn't have any feature credits that they could see anywhere. They didn't care. So it, um, I happened to be at the time working as a visual effects editor on the fountain. And I was on, um, I don't know, month 15 of that job. And I had obviously gotten to know Darren very well uh, on, in that process um, in a creative way because the visual effects and the visual effects editing was a big part of the creative process of, of building that film and it went through a lot of permutations. Um, so at a certain point, I, I knew I was going to lose out on the job unless I did something kind of aggressive. So I went to Darren and asked him if he would vouch for me as an editor and tell this company that I knew how to cut. And I know pretty consciously now that that was the moment where it occurred to him that he could work with me as an editor. And I think that I didn't think about it that way. That wasn't the strategy, but that's what happened to some extent. Um, anyway, I got that job. And um, so he was obviously instrumental in that. And then the, the thing that happened out of that, you know, which is a bit of luck is it led to, through a couple connections led directly to um, Wes Anderson was looking for someone to cut his next film. And I got that job through that pathway. And, and so that kind of converged all at once. And I was, you know, on fire for a minute, which is great. <laughs> but I also had been on deck for however long as an assistant so that I was, you know, as prepared as one could be. But obviously those two directors are the directors that have um, kind of shaped my opportunity in my career. And I'm lucky to continue collaborating with them and evolving with them. Um, I'll also say though, that in between working with those guys, I always, because I'm so fortunate with that and they're gonna make these films that, that mean something, I always try, if I can, scheduling and opportunity-wise to look for things that are very unlike what either of those guys are doing so that I can try and uh, stretch different muscles or, or learn different things or not unlike what uh, Kate was saying about Davis, I'm not using music. You know, I, I was looking for a musical. <laughs> so, but there's definitely things like that where I look for things, a big visual effects movie that was a kind of a more mainstream film. Things that, that broaden my abilities, but also doesn't get you pigeonholed into something if you don't necessarily want to be, all those kinds of things. It's nice to work on different content if, yes. if they interest you. Um, but I do, I do try to look for things that, um, are outside of, that are not, you know, Wes Anderson-esque or, or something that is some, uh, oh, they're calling me because they like the wrestler or like to me, that's always never, um, as exciting as something that I've, that has no obvious connection to what I do. Um, so I want to, before we start the Q&A portion, I would just like to get each of your perspectives on what we're going through now 
each of you, you all were working in New York on projects when other major things that were at the time catastrophic occurred, 9-11, Hurricane Sandy, the blackout, the financial crisis. Um, so not so much like where were you and what happened then, but just as you navigated those crises, how do you feel about this crisis? How do you feel about the projects maybe that you're currently on and what the future might look like for these specific projects? And what do you think about the landscape in New York in the aftermath of this? Um, just, you know, in a few words. <laughs> no, it's a massive question, but I just am curious about sort of your sage perspectives at well, this moment in time. I'll go first. There'll be, there'll be, if it's okay. There've been, a, there've been a couple, um, you know, there've been a couple of incidents along the way, nothing that compares to this. Like the, like there was Hurricane Sandy, there was 9-11, there was uh, the blackout. All those things were really short term blips. Um, there were strikes, right? I mean, there are all different kinds of contractions and things like that. Obviously our big obstacle moving forward right now um, apart from the obvious, which is this pandemic, is uh, how how long it'll take before there can is something to be shot again that we can edit. Um, that's that's not that's the content that we're used to. I mean, I think there are other smaller trips and drabs of things that are happening and people trying to find their way to be creative, and you know those are interesting. Um, but if we're getting back to the content that we're interested in, obviously there's continues to be a demand for it. People still want to watch things. So we're going to need to make things. Um, our departments is in post-production, I think were particularly suited to a lot of the challenges that um, people are facing because so much of what we do can be done remotely. Um, I've cut a lot of things particularly on the animated projects with, with Wes, so much of that is done remotely. I'm, I'm on Fantastic Mr. Fox, I only went to the stage once. Um, and I was on that for a year and a half. And, and we were editing remotely all the time and we had our procedures for that. Um, so it's really just a minor adaptation. The real thing that, the challenge that we have to figure out in our community is how we collaborate. Um, because there is a lot of communication and, and you know, in the room experience that happens with us that is lacking um, when, we're, when we have an opportunity to work now um, in this situation. So we have to figure out a way to adapt to that. And people are working on that. There's, there are software solutions to that and stuff like, and stuff like that. But, you know, they're, they're not that exciting. To me, in terms of the technicality, as long as the, the, the brush is cleared away that I can talk to somebody, mm -hmm. um, which I, I think those, those things were already happening. And what I think is that that's all going to get pushed really hard. So like there's stuff like Evercast, which is an application that people are working with where a director and editor can collaborate and 
look at the screen together, but there's a lag to that right now. That's going to get fixed and people's internet connections will get faster for that. And same for uh, all the other finishing things like um, ADR will be able to do sessions like this and even color correction. I know that their facilities working on solutions where they, you know, everybody has a calibrated monitor and sync system set up where you can work with someone remotely. All the things that we were inching towards, um, I think, is just going to get accelerated by this um, process. I don't think it. I don't think it's going to replace the interpersonal stuff ultimately when we can get back to it because I think that's an important part of it. But it's going to. There's going to be a lot more flexibility. That's. I don't know anything, but that's what I think. Um, what do you think, Louise? Uh, I'm really. Uh, I suspect, like everybody, really worried. I mean. Um, I had just finished a job uh, at the end of uh, the first week of March and I was literally due to fly to Belfast in Northern Ireland on the 20, uh, 16th of March. I was due to fly to, uh, to be in England for a year working on Robert Eggers' next movie. Uh, they pushed it for six weeks to start with, of course. <laughs> now they have the start date at the beginning of August, but I, I, I don't know how they, I don't, I don't know. I mean, how are you going to have a film crew with hundreds of people shooting? I'm not, so I, I don't really have any words of wisdom to offer in terms of what I think is going to happen apart from the fact that we're going to, I'm not going to have a job for like another nine months. I, do, I just don't understand how, how it, until we have a vaccine, you know, you, you, I read some sort of industry memo, leaked memo about um, producers talking about rewriting scenes with actors so they're not so close together. I mean, you can't, you, that's just not feasible, I don't think. Um, maybe smaller movies, yeah, you know, when you've got a small crew. That's a thing that um, I have to look for a, a smaller film to do, I think. I don't know. I mean, it's, at the moment, the film's still on, but I just, I, I'm skeptical. Because you've got a bunch of actors, in this case, name actors. It's quite a big production. And um, you're going to sort of disinfect every single surface every hour and test people before they get into work in the you know, when they come on set. Uh, test the temperatures. I mean, I maybe I'm being I'm really, I'm really, I'm genuinely worried, you know. And there's another barrier to smaller indies is that it looks unlikely that insurance companies are planning on bonding them. So that's kind of a, right. kind of a barrier there. Um, Kate? Animates. <laughs> Sorry, go. Yeah. Animation. We're going to get into animation. Um. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm worried. Uh, I was supposed to start in about three weeks on season four of Mrs. Maisel. Um, so we're, we're all keeping in touch with, with each other. I just had a meeting with our producer yesterday. You know, they're working on protocols and waiting for uh, New York State recommendations of how many people can actually get together. It's, uh, you know, it seems obviously production is a huge bottleneck. I don't know how it's going to start, but everybody's working on it, uh, different crafts. Uh, uh, unions are coming together to kind of draft protocols, but it's impossible to know where we're going to end up. And just to address like other periods of 
slowed down, you know, there were a couple things that I had to get myself through those. And one of them was actually teaching at the edit center, which I was going to do last month and that got canceled. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad to hear about the edit center. And frankly, it's, um, remains to be seen whether it can survive like any, um, small business. So some of the things that I had to fall back on or in, you know, way in the past when things were slow, um, doing, doing non-union work, um, or smaller things or different indie things, those aren't going to be happening either. And in fact, there was just a big, um, union, uh, zoom yesterday with Kathy Rapola that I think some of you were on and they're just, um, yeah, a lot of concerns about, getting <laughs> getting back safely and you know we don't want to necessarily rush back either until it's safe we don't want to rush back to a, a small production that says yeah we're going to go but um you've got to be in this facility and you don't necessarily feel comfortable so i think it's you know we're under a lot of economic strain but we also have to be really careful and, um, and I think this conversation yesterday was really good. It was eye-opening to me because we had a lot of different um, member classifications coming and, and they each had their different concerns, like AEs that work at night that have rotating shifts and all the equipment needs to be cleaned between shifts and things like that that I wouldn't necessarily think about because it's pretty easy for me to either work remotely or just go into my own single big room or whatever. But there are a lot of problems, even in post, that... Um, I think the union is trying to um, gather information about right now. Well, thank you guys. Before I switch it over to the Q&A, this is a good moment to mention that next week at this time, um, we're going to have a panel focused on the future, um, specifically about like what post facilities are going to do. And um, it's going to be moderated by Claire Shanley and it's going to have Kim Spikes from Sim International, David Woods and some other panelists, CBD. Yeah. Uh, sort of Andy's brainchild. Okay. So um, you guys, thank you so much for being part of this. I know everybody learned a lot. I learned a lot. Um, and that is what we're doing during the slowdown is gathering together like this every Thursday at four and um, educating ourselves so I'll turn it over now to Chris Peterson, who will um, throw some questions at you to answer from the group. Yeah, a lot of great questions. Thank you, Iana. Um, I have several questions on what are some good ways to find a mentor? And is cold emailing an editor, for example, something you would recommend doing? And if so, any do's or don'ts? Um. Yeah, go ahead. How does this work? Was just one of us just start talking. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I get emails from uh, people. Um, I don't always have time to, you know, I go around, I spend a lot of time walking around feeling guilty that I don't respond to them all. But occasionally if one's at the right time and it's a great email, I will meet for coffee. I'm always happy to pass on any uh, advice. I met somebody for coffee about well when we, like january sometime who is now who we uh took on as a post-production intern on the last thing that i was doing because uh she her email was so beautifully worded and she was you know she said all the right things and she wasn't too pushy and she but she was the right kind of pushy i mean you know it, don't ask me how you <laughs> word that <laughs> but it, it sort of 
you know, I read it and I was like, yeah, this person's cool. And when I met her, she was said all the right things. She was great. And she's going to be good, I'm sure. Um, having the right sensibility. So you should always try, I think, uh, to reach out. We're a friendly bunch most of the time. <laughs> ah. When we're not on a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say one thing. I try. I try to answer people's emails. And definitely there's like that. There's some kind of magic formula for writing an email that's... It's not too pushy, but it's, um, you know, somebody who's really ambitious and friendly and open. I don't know. And it, can, and it finds you just at the right moment when you're not overwhelmed and busy. Um, but I do try to respond. Uh, I'll just say one thing that makes me crazy, and it's, it's not going to happen to anyone here, is people from L.A. who email me and want to get together for coffee. And I have to say, didn't you look me up? I'm in New York. <laughs> so that's... Uh, crazy. Also, just people from LA generally. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, those people. No, no yeah. I got, I got, I've gotten a few of those too, Kate. <laughs> Which is a little strange because then you definitely don't answer. But the the um, the truth is, I'm bad about answering that stuff, and I do feel bad about it because usually I'm busy. Um, but you know, it has happened where I've hired people or connected people in those situations. I don't have a really good answer about what the right email is or the right way to reach out. Um, if, unless I, I guess the, the times that it has worked, I felt that there was innate, an innate understanding of what, you know, what their role would be, if that makes sense. Like I, I oftentimes I'll get emails about people who, and all the stuff that they're cutting and that's not really relevant to my figuring out who I'm going to hire as an assistant. It doesn't mean that I don't care. It's just not, it's, it's not the conversation. So um, that would be one thing I would say about it. I mean, I think the people who I can tell are interested in the process and interested in filmmaking in general are, are the people that I um, gravitate to in those situations. Great. Thank you. Um, here's a good one. Do you ever feel anxious when cutting something new to you, like a different genre or style or format? And what would you do to prepare for cutting, say, a musical if you've never done one, or cutting a blockbuster with thousands of VFX if you're used to indies? Who wants to go first? Uh, I don't mind. I, we, we could do it in the same order every time if you want. Um, good by me. Uh, I'm nervous every time I start cutting anything <laughs> because uh, every project's completely different, even if it's the same genre. Um, format, I don't worry about. That's something my assistant worries about. And, you know, uh, it's all story. It's just all about storytelling for me. But uh, musical, that's interesting. If I, said, if I had to cut a musical, I think I'd probably... Uh, I'd, my go-to first thing is always just read a bunch of books. I'd find a bunch of books about cutting a musical or something for editor or editors. Uh, I mean, you know, there's some good editors, uh, autobiographies out there. Of course, my mind's gone blank. I'm not talking about merch, but like people that have, um, can't remember anybody's name right now, but there's a bunch of good editing autobiographies. I'd find somebody that cut a musical and see if they'd written one. I, maybe that's a bit wacko. I don't know. Go... I'd, pr I'd probably like call on my editor friend, somebody that has cut a musical or somebody has got a connection to somebody who's cut a musical if I wanted to do that. Or if it's a comedy, you know, I don't think I've, I've not cut a broad comedy. I'd love to, um, 
I'd, I'd uh, reach out. The answer is I'd just reach out to some, you know, if there's anything specific I needed to know. But I mean, it's all storytelling. I don't know. Sorry, that was. About to whom the people on the project or people who have cut similar projects? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Thanks for putting it succinctly. <laughs> Kate, you're up. Okay. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I want to echo what Louise just said. I'm nervous cutting anything. Uh, and I tell students that too. Like it's, 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 I, it's just, you're putting yourself out there no matter what, no matter how many years I've been doing it. Um, I'm putting myself into it. So um, everything feels new. Uh, but if it's something technical that specifically I haven't done before, I will reach out to other people. And we have a network of, as you say, like very friendly um, I think our group in New York is so kind and I have so many friends that are, that are editors and also a network of sound editors and uh, re-recording mixers and some of my um, great music editor friends. So I, th I think that I have a lot of people to call on when it comes to technical problems. In fact, we're going to, we're going to start on something hopefully pretty soon, which is some, some nasal promos that are specifically uh, music driven with playback where people are going to shoot from home. And obviously that's not something that a lot of us have done and we're all figuring that out. So we had a technical meeting and everyone's sharing information about how that's done now. Um, and so that's exciting. So I'm pretty nervous about that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I happen to be cutting a musical or I was, before it shut down, it was eight days into the shoot and then, you know, the world paused. Um, it's, it also happens to not be the first musical I've cut, um, which is uh, whatever, but I don't know that it's that different than anything else um, in terms of how you approach it technically or otherwise, I, at least not something that I'm totally conscious of. Um, but uh I'll say that anytime I start a new project, I'm always really anxious about it and get over intellectual about it usually to try and conquer that. And maybe this is part of the spoiled side of being on a feature schedule than a TV schedule. I don't usually care about keeping up to camera that much. I usually take a long time kind of getting my way in and figuring out what I like and what I don't like and cutting a lot of versions of a scene where it was probably fine the way it was, but it helps me kind of learn, you know, what's going on and what the issues are with the actors or the director or the tone of the thing and just kind of feeling my way. And then as I work through the assembly, I tend to get quicker and quicker and somehow manage to pull it out of the hat. But it, it, that's, I guess that's the truth in terms of approaching the material that I, I don't ever feel um, completely confident <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I get, there are waves, there are waves, but I, I come mm -hmm. up with certain methods that um, are more procedural and kind of obsessive compulsive to find my way through that. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Um, next one. Um, tips for interviewing with directors for jobs and, and ways that you prep or ideas that you try to get across to them. How do you prep for those meetings? Uh, well, I, I mean, obviously, if they've directed something before, you have to watch everything 
that they've directed <laughs> so that you can talk about it um, knowledgeably. But apart from that, just, I don't know. I, 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 I look at their work. I mean, yeah, I look at their work. That's kind of all the prep that I do. I don't, I, I, I really, I'm not good at overthinking and planning what I'm going to say on these things. You can probably tell from my answers here. <laughs> I like to just be spontaneous and uh, with a direct, maybe it's, uh, you know, with a director, the most important thing is that you uh, are on the same wavelength and that's not something you can sort of, you know, uh, uh, practice <laughs> before an interview. So it's just, a matter of, um, uh, I just try to be me and, uh, and if, you know, if the interview doesn't go well, it's because we didn't get on. And so, and I don't get the job, then that's fine because I wouldn't be any good at the job anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's like a self-selecting thing. I've always felt like that about all job interviews. Mm -hmm. you know, the right person will get it. And uh, if, you're, if you're on the same wavelength, great. Louise, your answers are great. Are they? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Totally. Um, okay. So I'll will say um, I do the opposite. Well, I I watch I'll, I'll watch everything that the director's done, and I'll watch things that I'll read interviews. I'll watch interviews if there are things to watch. Um, influences that they cite that are interesting to them. Uh, so unlike Louise, I will over prepare. And in over-preparing, sometimes I get my heart broken because I really want it. Um, and then I'll just say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard, it's competitive. But um, I'll, I'll over-prepare because I want to go in with, um, you know, I, I want to I take in the project. As, I want to understand it as somebody's dream. It's the dream of their life to direct this you know, either launching a TV show, sometimes that's my interview, or a movie, and it's the dream of their life, and I want to understand why it's their dream. And sometimes I don't understand why it's their dream, and I want to go to the interview anyway because I want them to explain to me why it is. I want them to, I want to understand and, you know, um, and empathize with that. Um, and sometimes then it works, and, and we find we're compatible, and I can understand where they're going. And then sometimes I'll walk away going, well, that's, yeah, if I don't get that, that's okay. Cause I don't, I didn't really connect. Um, but I, I'll do everything I can to try to understand what the project is all about. And, um, and, and actually, and Mrs. Maisel is a kind of interesting example because the pilot was brilliant, but even so I still had, I still had a couple of questions and I wanted to go in and understand what this pacing was all about. Like what's this fast pacing all about? Are we going to stop for, some grounded, meaningful drama, or is it always going to be fast, fast, fast? And I tried to find a way to ask that question in a very respectful way. And it was a brilliant interview. Together, we found a commonality, and I understood what they were going for. And they explained to me what their pace was all about, that that was her rhythm, but that, but that yes, we were going we to stop for moments, and I had to trust them. And uh, that was, a, anyway, that's a long-winded answer, but I overprepare. That's can I just can I come back for one second? Sorry, Andrew. Oh, I'm just coming off. Because uh, I just <laughs> I just uh, okay. You just reminded me the most important thing. There is one bit of preparation I do do, which is reading the script. You obviously oh, yeah. read the script <laughs> to know whether you want to meet with the director anyway. In the first I, I think if you haven't read the script, you're not getting the game. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty sad. Uh, Although I've had those mental. I've had those interviews where I was not allowed to read the script. Those are awkward. Oh my but, god, tell me about that. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually that one of them I had a meet it was a huge project. I couldn't understand why they were asking me because it had nothing to do with anything I'd done before. And it was a two and a half hour meeting where basically I understood by the time it was done, it was just a question of figuring out if the person who was directing this was kind of a tricky person. So it was kind of, can we sit in a room together? Mm. It was basically the beginning of the end of the meeting. It had nothing to do with what my thoughts were and how I could articulate them on the project. It was, are we going to spend a year and a half together? That was, that was basically the whole meeting. Um, wow. we, we didn't, but, but that, that's, those were for a whole bunch of reasons. But, <laughs> so I think, I think my theories on interviews and preparing for them is um, if it's a filmmaker who's established, I, of course, if I haven't, I watch every, the things that they've done that I can get my hands on. So I'm familiar with them, depending on how it comes up. If it is, the script is, or project is based on something that is pre-existing, like a book or a play, I try not to familiarize myself with that stuff because I feel like whatever it is, it's standing on its own. And sometimes I've gotten into trouble where like they say, well, that's not really what we're doing or that it's not. Interesting. I think about the thing. But I think the main thing that matters in an interview is to get them talking. Yeah. So, and the, and the reason for that is they don't necessarily want to hear what you think. They know what they think and they want you to support that and help them accomplish that. Your time to contribute to that will be after they decide that they want to let you in. So if you walk in with a list of notes and questions of why does this character do this or why you, you're not going to get that gig. There's no way. And, and, and because you, you've gone ahead of the skis in a way. You, I, I always try and talk to them about what their process is, how's it going, what, you know, what are the challenges, are you, have you cast this thing, who are you thinking about for this, and how you're going to shoot it. And then it sort of gives me cues on what kind of director they're going to be and how I would collaborate them with them, and it informs that conversation. So, um, but in, uh, inevitably, some of the questions I have about the script will either get themselves answered in those interviews because they're thinking about them or it's obvious, or it'll come up organically, not as a criticism, but yeah. so what are you thinking of doing about the transitions on this thing? Do you have an idea for that? Have you guys talked about that? And if they don't have an answer, then you know you don't want that job. <laughs> <laughs> because there's nobody, there's nobody running the show you know like those are those are i think the things yeah. that that mm -hmm. i think about in an interview because the best way to have a conversation is you know there's always that whole kind of psychological theory of get people to think it's their idea which i don't really believe in as a conceit but to get people talking and feel heard mm -hmm. is always important when you're collaborating with someone yeah that's good Chris, we want to do one more question yeah, one more, and I probably should have started with this because it's a big topic among our membership. Any advice for editors on the transition from the commercial or doc or reality world into the scripted world? Uh, I don't know whether I'm the best person to talk about that. I, uh, I mean, I've had I've had these discussions on Facebook sort of groups before, and. Uh, 
I mean, I, the, the hard thing is if, you, if you're cutting other forms and you want to get into scripted, I mean, it's, it's that horrible thing where everybody sort of says, well, you, they're not going to give you the job because you haven't got any experience doing the job, you know, and it's a vicious circle. And I know that's really frustrating. The only thing that I would say is you've got to cut some scripted and maybe do it uh, for no money or less money. You're going to have to take a pay cut. I mean, it's, and that's impossible if you've got a family or, you know, and uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. I don't know. I do... I would just get, um, I don't know, I guess I'd start with shorts, just do stuff that you can do at the weekend for free. If, you know, if you're in that situation where you can't afford to sort of take a break from your regular income. Uh, but it's really, you know, getting, to, I, but maybe that's all changed now. I'm talking about when I was getting into it sort of 15, uh, 10, 12 years ago and, and that like, you know, scripted has now exploded. It's, I don't know, maybe Kate and Andy have better uh, answers for that actually. But, you know. Well, I think it, it's still hard and it's one of the questions I get asked most. And um, I, I, think it's, I think it's still very difficult. And if you've been cutting reality shows and you want to be hired on an episodic, I think that's pretty almost impossible. You might think about taking a lateral move and going to, if you haven't been doing it too long and you can afford to, um, letting everybody that you know in your circle know that you want to make a move toward um, a different format and hopefully the network will guide you toward an opportunity, but it's probably not going to be at a level uh, that you were at before. So you can make a lateral move to be an assistant or if you were an assistant in reality, you can move to be, uh, you know, uh, an apprentice, uh, uh, ERA, whatever, 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 however you can get your foot in that door and work your way back up because ultimately you want to be, with the group of people who you can grow with. Um, but yeah, it, it is, like Louise said, it's kind of heartbreaking sometimes. Uh, we've had assistants who have a harder time moving up because they have young kids or something else. And, um, but I, 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 do, I do think our community is very supportive. And I think if you let people know you want to make that move and keep letting them know and email, you know, keep emailing people around and say, if you hear about anything, let me know I'm willing to do this, even though I've been cutting. I'm hope, I hope something will come along and you can make a change. But I think there's going to be a sacrifice involved if you get too far along on a path that you don't find you like anymore. Yeah. I've, uh, I don't know that I, I have too much that's smart to add to this, but I think that, um, <sighs> you know, I've, I've cut commercials and um, on the side sometimes. And I think if, if, if from, from my minimal experience, I feel like if you're going to go from commercials to scripted, be prepared to make a lot less money <laughs> right off the bat. Because, I mean, you're making commercials not to necessarily, you're doing it to sell something. So those, there's more money flowing around in that in theory. Um, and features are different or narrow, scripted things are a different uh, universe, different, sometimes different pace, different intention and so forth. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't really speak to what the bright paths are now necessarily, um, because there's so many weird different opportunities that are coming up, um, for different kinds of scripted content. Like what's the thing called Quibbly or whatever, like there, there all kinds of stuff like that. That's that, that where things are kind of mm -hmm. 
lines are blurring. I think people used to be a lot more pigeonholed than, than they're about to become. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Louise. Thank you, Kate, for sharing your brilliance and your time with us today. Um, thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everyone who's put an effort into keeping these post breaks going. And again, next week, we'll have how post will return facilities and beyond. Um, there'll be a lot of really great information shared on there. So um, see you next week. Thank, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks so much. I just want to say I've read all the chat comments. I'm not reply. I'm not uh, typing, but I've read them. And thank you. For the, oh, all the now comments. I now I got to go read them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Bye, Bye. guys. Thanks. Bye.